for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you've enjoyed this sermon from our Advent series, Let Heaven and Nature Sing. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged into a community group, visit our website at www.cbcsavannah.com. sought us out to save us. So Lord, this morning I pray that you would continue to seek us out, to continue to change our hearts, to be made more and more like your sons. Lord, you know my insufficiency, my heart, the wickedness that still exists, and my insufficiency to approach the word and to approach your people. But God, you have called me to it this morning, I pray for your spirit to manifest itself in power, to move in the hearts of your people, that by the end of the day they would forget me completely and would revel in the glory of Christ. Lord, help us. We need you. And I pray all of this in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, Merry Christmas. Even if it's a little bit late, it's still the Christmas season. Um, my name is Matt. I work with our college students, and you know, we don't party that much, right? That, that's a bad word. We like to call them gatherings, um, and, and there's always fire involved. I don't know how that happens, but anyway, we, we, I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to be here. This is the last weekend of services, the last sermon that you will hear this year, probably, unless you do a podcast or something, but that's cheating. And, and I am grateful to be the guy to do it. This has been a big year for my family. We've you know, come on staff, and we've come to the church, and, and it's just a joy to be here week in and week out and just interact with everybody. And there's a lot of us, so I'm still getting to know, I think I know about 3%, so we're working on it. But super glad to be here. This is also the last weekend of our Let Heaven and Nature Sing series. And, and, and this song that we're about to study, quite possibly the most popular Christmas song ever. Um, It's also where we get our title. The song is Joy to the World. But the problem here is this. We have all been duped. I don't know how they did it, but they did it real good. We have been told our entire lives that joy to the world is about Christmas, and it's not. And you're going, come on. You know, the Lord has come, baby Jesus, he's here. Like, yes, 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 I get that. We can sing it like it is, but it doesn't actually make it about Christmas. But that's okay, because what it is actually about is also incredible and fantastic, and, and we're going to talk about that. Um, a little background, Isaac Watts, 1719, wrote this book called The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. So I'm grateful that we've progressed in our book titling in 300 years, but... He, what he did is he took the Psalms and he tried to kind of, uh, in a sense, modernize it, write it into a language that people would, it'd be easier for them to understand and would cultivate a deeper joy of the Psalms and a deeper heart uh, for worship through them. Uh, in 1839, Lowell Mason took the lyrics and put it to music and voila, we have joy to the world. Now, 
The, the particular psalm that this song is based off of, I know I'm going to mess that up, psalm, song, 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 uh, is Psalm 98. And Psalm 98 was written by David, and it's a psalm about salvation that has come, the, the salvation that comes to God's people when the Messiah arrives and what it will be like, right? So, so the, the kind of issue here is that when David wrote this, it's a very Jewish perspective, which basically means when, when the Jews thought about the Messiah and his arrival, they thought this was going to be the time that Messiah's here, he's going to take the throne by force, he's going to initiate his kingdom, and he will rule forever and ever, and Israel will be you know, reinstated to their high place uh, as the people of God. As we, as Christians know, that that's not exactly how it happens, because Jesus first came as a baby to initiate the kingdom, but it is not fully realized yet. Um, but what we, what we sing about it with joy to the world is, is this what it's going to be like. So that's what we're going to look at. The, the first three kind of verses of, of, of Psalm 98 and of Joy to the World, which we don't actually sing, quite honestly, because they're boring, but it's all about the salvation that God has brought to his people. And, and that's what we've been studying actually the past three weeks. Uh, week one, Bill gave us this beautiful rendition of Bohemian Rhapsody and told us about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and how each stanza, each of the seven verses leads us to a little bit more anticipation, a little bit more longing, a little bit, come Messiah, please come Messiah, oh come, God with us, be with us. And then as he kind of showed us in the Latin, the song actually tells us, I'll be there tomorrow. So we sing the last verse on Christmas Eve, and, and it's that anticipation of, of the arrival of the king. And then in week two, William talked, oh come all you faithful, and, and how Jesus, who was fully God, absolutely fully God, was there with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, through him and to him, all things are made and created, was, came as baby infant, right? He needed fully man, needed to be nursed by his mom, needed to be taught the ways of the world by his dad. Maybe got a spanking? I don't know. He was perfect, so I don't know about all that. But that's what it was like, the doctrine of incarnation, fully man and fully God, came as man to save men, right? And then we know that that baby grows up and lives a perfect life and, and is executed on our behalf, right? The sins of, of us are put onto him, and he dies on the cross as an atonement for our sins. And that's what Hark the Herald Angel Sing is all about. It's, it's this, this has happened for you, sinner. God has, has murdered Jesus on your behalf. The wrath of God is poured out onto him so that you might live eternally with him. And, and so sing, hark with the angels, sing. This is glory to God, joyous news. And so, so that's where we've come, um, and, and, and now, kind of getting back to joy to the world, uh, we know that Jesus, once he, once he was killed, he raised from the dead. And as he's walking with his disciples, as we studied back in Acts 1, the disciples, who were also very Jewish, and so they said, basically, uh, so we believed you were Messiah, and then you were killed, so maybe that wasn't the uh, establishment of your kingdom. But now you're back. So they ask him, Lord, now are you going to establish your kingdom? Now is, the, is, is now the time? And Jesus basically says, uh, no, and it's not for you to know the time or the place that my father has you know, said this is going to happen. And then he takes off, literally. I mean, he ascends into heaven, and he, and he goes to take his place at the right hand of God. So 
We also know, though, through Christ's teaching and through the rest of the, the New Testament, that one day he will return. He will absolutely return. And this time, when he does, he's not going to come as humble baby in the flesh. He doesn't need to. He came as man to save men. But this time, when he returns, he's coming back as conquering God. Right? And, and that's what the Bible says about him. Revelation 19 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, which is just a jeweled crown to, to represent sovereignty. And he has a name written that no one but himself knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. John 1, right? In the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, this is not weak. This is not humble, infant baby Jesus. This is the God of everything that is returning in power. When I was young, my uh, family went to church. It was one Sunday, my dad wasn't there. And, and so it was my mom and my brother and sister and myself. And we were a rowdy bunch. And so my mom, you know, stop, stop, you know, in church. And then finally she goes, if you guys don't stop, when you get home, you're going to get the belt. Which was like, oh, chill out, right? God bless my mom, though. She, she didn't really understand belt culture, right? I mean, this was the 80s, so she had like one of those, you know, shoulder padded dresses with like this belt that sits right here that plastic and doesn't really do anything at all. And so we got home and she <laughs> tore that thing off and, and it's like, <laughs> no kidding, I laughed at my mom. No, I don't say that as a good thing, right? Because a little while later, my dad got home. <laughs> don't laugh. No kidding. He understood belt culture, right? <laughs> he, I, I, he gets home, and I hear like the you know, Charlie Brown teacher thing. <laughs> and then silence. Right now, I'm by the door. I'm like listening. I was like, uh-oh. So I back up, sit on my bed, brush my hair over a little bit. And my door literally explodes. <laughs> the door was no more. Right? And my dad just looks at me and goes, get up. And of course, I went, ah! You know, and started doing the thing where you like run in a circle because he's just chasing you. Right? Now, here's the deal. My mom had full power over me. She had full authority over me. I might have been a little older and could take a plastic belt whooping, but... She was still my mom. When Jesus came as a baby, he was still God. But his mission was different. His mission was absolutely different. And so when he returns this time, full power will be on display. Full glory will be on display. And that is what joy to the world is about. So, and by the way, my parents weren't abusive. I was just being a punk. So <laughs> don't laugh at your mom ever. All right? Okay, enough of that. So, if you're a Christian, 
If you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation and, and have just recognized his authority and come under the lordship of, of who he is and his life and his work and his death, then, then this song, this psalm, the Bible, says that when he returns, the overarching feeling and expression of what you will feel as a Christian is joy. It's unadulterated, absolute, pure joy. And, and let me just say carefully, this is the last sermon of the year, so it's a little less application, a little bit more. I just want us to dream a little bit. So if you're not a Christian in here, man, we, we are so glad you're here. We believe it is a gift of grace that God is pursuing you to bring you here this morning and to hear what it's going to be like. But we also believe that this truth is for Christians. And so if you have questions, if you want to discuss it, find a pastor, find somebody. Don't leave here with questions about this. I mean, this is a, a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like. And, and we long for that for you. So what I want to do now is just kind of take joy to the world and, and kind of walk through it kind of verse by verse and, and, and just make some observations of the things that we'll see. And again, this is based off of Psalm 98, so it's not like this is some guy's picture. I mean, this is right out of Scripture. Um, so, verse 1. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. So, right off the bat, there you go. Joy. Joy. So much joy. And why? Because the Lord is come. The king is here. Messiah is here. Men, Women, receive your king, right? Look around. Heaven and nature are singing. Heaven and nature are singing. Psalm 98, verse 7 and 8 literally says, Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. And this is the first observation I, I want to kind of make. When, when Christ returns, all creation will be worshiping God. Think about that. All creation will be worshiping God. And, and how, kind of how is this? Like, what, what does that mean? Well, to be honest, I don't really know, other than it said the Bible talks a lot about nature singing for joy. And sometimes I think, honestly, they're more in tune to worship than we are. Like, like Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Right? Psalm 65 says, the pastures of the wilderness overflow the hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain, and they shout and sing together for joy. And we know Romans 8 talks about nature as being under the same curse of death that we are. So when King Jesus shows up, man, they can't contain themselves. It says that it groans. Nature groans and waits with anticipation for the Messiah to come back to be out from under this curse of death. And when it does, it's just going to burst forth in worship and singing for joy. And sticking with our movie theme for the fall, how many people have seen The Little Mermaid? Come on, guys, raise your hand. I know. <laughs> Little Mermaid, right? So Ariel wants to go and be a part of their world, and Sebastian the Crab says, you don't want to go up there. You know, look. Look at, how, look at how great it is to live under the sea, right? 
Everything's better down where it's wetter. Everything's hotter under the water. It's like, this, it's just better here. And, and the crabs and the fish and the bubbles and the shells and everything just starts singing and dancing and just joy to live under the water. It's, it's the, and, and how many, come on, how many wanted to join in? How many did join in? I mean, and, and this is what it's going to be like. I mean, it's infectious. It's just, it's just like, wow, nature is just pouring forth in worship. It's really quite incredible. I mean, again, I don't, are the trees going to sing? Maybe. I wouldn't put it past God. I don't know what that's going to look like, but in some way, they're going to be singing for joy and worshiping. This goes right into stanza two. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And we have joy to the world. The Lord has come. Now, joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Right? King Jesus is here. The heaven, heavens and the nature are singing. So men, women, humanity, join the chorus. Join in. Right? And this is kind of, again, the second observation I want to make here is that when Christ returns, men and women will be worshiping. Verse 4, which is where we get our joy to the world, kind of first line, says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Fields, floods, rocks, hills, and plains are, are, are worshiping. So men and women, join the chorus. Right? True power is here. And instantly, we, we're drawn to it. We want to bow down and worship it. And, and this isn't, shouldn't be surprising to us because we are worshipers. I mean, this goes back to pre-creation, the, the relationship between the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not being lonely, being in perfect harmony with itself, just, in, in, again, in perfect harmony. In his book, Unceasing Worship, Harold Best describes the Trinity as this, the uniquely continuous outpourer who continually pours himself out between the persons of the Godhead in unceasing communication, love, friendship, and joy. It follows that humans created in God's image would also be unceasing worshipers as continuous outpours. We weren't created to worship. We were created worshiping. It's what we do because we're made in the image of God as outpours, as just continually outpouring and, and worshiping. It's at our core. The problem is that now, because sin is here and present in our lives. We, we struggle with worshiping the right thing. We, we have a hard time understanding the right thing to worship. But when, when Jesus arrives, man, there will be no question. There will be no question what to worship. And, and, and this is, we know the end, right? If we believe the Bible, we know that Christ is going to return, but we live and we act and we think like we don't. Like we live and we act and we think like we don't know what's going to happen. Think about it like this. Again, movie reference number two. Star Wars. I had to do that. Star Wars. The first one came out in 78, something like that. I was not born. I'm a youngin. Uh, but they re-released it in the theaters when they released those other bad three ones that I think came out sometimes late 90s, early 2000s. They re-released the original three. And by that time, I had seen the first one multiple times. But right, we go to the theater, we're watching it, 
And, and Luke in the X-Wing like starts flying down the alley to go destroy the Death Star. And then Darth Vader comes in and he's got him like in his sights and he's just about to shoot him. And, and out of nowhere, a shot rings out and one of Vader's cronies gets hit and knocks Vader off into space. And you hear, woohoo, all right, kid, now let's blow this place and go home. Han Solo saves the day. And when it happened, you know, everybody in the theater, I guarantee you, we had all seen it, goes, yeah, woohoo! Like, guys, we knew that was going to happen. We knew that was going to happen. No, nobody in that theater thought that it might end differently this time. It's like remastered and re-digitally changed the ending. No. The Death Star blows up. Everybody goes home, and they get medals, right? But think about this. We do this as Christians all the time. We go through life living in a way that basically communicates that we question what's going to happen. But we know that this is what's going to happen. And so this verse, these, this is teaching us to, we, guys, we know what's going to happen. Join the chorus. Worship the right thing. Worship Jesus. And this leads to our next stanza. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This goes back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and, and God comes to them and says in verse 17 to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. It's right out of verse 2. You shall eat the plant of the field. By sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken... For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So according to stanza three of Joy to the World, when Christ returns, he's going to make all of this right. No more will sin or sorrow grow. Right? So when sin entered the world, it brought with it death. It brought with it spiritual death and physical death. But this says and this is our third observation, that when Jesus returns, the curse of death will be gone forever. Jesus literally changed what death does. So before death was this scary monster that just kind of loomed over our shoulders, just waiting to pounce on us, right? But now death is the gateway to glory. It literally, got, Jesus changed what death does no longer something to be feared, but something to be welcomed. Let me explain. So, spiritual death. Sin brought, brings spiritual death. We know from the Bible that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. But if you put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, Romans 8 says there's now no condemnation for you. No condemnation. Right? You, your eternity is set. He has saved you. And he holds you for eternity. He has defeated our spiritual death by the person, work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he's also defeated our physical death. He's defeated our physical death as well. What was meant to eternally separate us from God is the, is the means by which we are in eternally united with him. Charles Spurgeon tells this story. I shall never forget one summer afternoon when I was preaching 
in a village chapel about the joys of heaven, that an elderly lady sitting on my right kept looking at me with intense delight. Some people's eyes greatly helped the preacher. A telegraph goes on between us. She seemed to say to me, bless God for that. How I am enjoying it. She kept drinking in the truth, and I poured out more and more precious things about the eternal kingdom and the sight of the well-beloved till I saw what I thought was a strange light pass over her face. I went on, and those eyes fixed on me. She sat still as a marble figure, and I stopped and said, friends, I think that yon sister over there is dead. They said it was even so, and they bore her away. She had gone. While I was telling of heaven, she had gone there. And I remember saying that I wished that it had been my case as well as hers. It was better not, perhaps, for many reasons, but oh, I did envy her. I'm always looking forward to the day when I shall see her again. I shall know those eyes, I am sure I shall. See, death no longer needs to be a fear to us, our death or someone else's. And, and I, I bring this up this morning because for a lot of people in here, this is a time of year that is just full of joy and celebration. I mean, we have Christmas. Yesterday was my daughter's birthday. I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom. Just a happy time. Right? But for some of us, this might be the first Christmas without a loved one. Or, or maybe it's the anniversary of a loved one not, not being here. Or maybe, maybe someone in this room found out recently that this might be their last Christmas. Right? And, and maybe not, it's not even death. Maybe it's just suffering. Because suffering is absolutely, absolutely an aspect of the curse of death. I mean, just think about this. You turn on the TV, you see school children being murdered and people beheaded and cops executed, protests and murders left and right, people blowing people up. That is madness. And it's evil. And it is not the way that God intended it to be. I have a friend whose husband, Ryan, recently lost his battle with leukemia. And I remember before he went in for his final round, they were going to try an experimental treatment where they mixed the chemotherapy drug with arsenic. And I remember thinking, how horrible, how horrible to mix arsenic with anything and then put it into your body. That's just not the way it's supposed to be. And and he, he passed, and I saw her a couple months ago, and I said, you know, how you doing? And she said, well, you know, I think about him every day, and I miss him. But I know that the next time I, I see him, cancer won't be a part of the conversation. He'll, he'll be cancer-free. And you know what? That hasn't happened in a long time. And I thought, man, what a, what a strange thing it is to have a type of joy when we think about death. But, and, and guys, I'm not morbid, right? I just know that I'm not home. Neither are you, right? When Christ returns, you know, I, let me say again, I don't know if this will actually help this morning. I, I pray that if it doesn't lighten your burden a little bit, that at least creates this spark of joy that, that reminds you that this was not the way God intended it and that he has done something about it. And according to this song that 
one day there will be no more curse of death. There will be no more sin and sorrow. It will be as far away as the curse is found. And, and the blessings of Jesus will flow for all eternity. As far as the curse is found. Guess what? The curse can't be found. And neither can the end of his blessings for eternity. That's good news. This moves us to the last stanza. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. See, when Jesus returns, he's going to return as judge. And this is the final observation, that when Christ comes back, he will judge and rule the world with truth and grace. Now, why is this full of joy? I mean, let's be honest. Who's ever stood in front of a judge and thought, oh, yippee, right? I've done it once, and it was actually, I was just standing there with my mom, and I was like, guilty, I, I don't even know, just I don't throw the book at me, I, I haven't done anything wrong, but this is awful, right? So why is this standing in front of the judge full of joy? Here's the thing, him, Jesus returning as our judge, it proves the wonders of his love and continues to reveal for all eternity that Jesus came to save sinners. Here's a little secret. That is all of us. We're all sinners, right? He, when Adam and Eve sinned, he came and imposed this curse, but he instantly almost created a way by which we can be relieved of this curse, by which we can be saved. It's really incredible. And, and we can't fathom it. I mean, Paul says in 1 Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. Paul, who, church planner extraordinaire, wrote more books of the Bible than any of us, ever. Right? We don't deserve to feel the joy that we'll feel when Christ returns. But according to the Bible, that's exactly what we're going to feel. We should long for this and anticipate this with great excitement. And think about the, the, most, the time in your life when you felt the most joy, the most joy over anything. Could, wedding day, kid being born, you know, maybe you won some award at work or, you know, got a full ride to college, whatever the case. It pales in comparison to the joy that you will feel when Christ returns. Which, you know, honestly, when I first heard that, I was like, I really liked my wedding day. I really liked when my kid was born. But the Bible says nothing. Nothing. Just wait and see. Right? And we, we hear this and, and, and I think a lot of us don't really live with that kind of expectancy. Like there's this old Jewish Christian tradition where they would greet each other and they would say this word, Maranatha, which kind of roughly translates, come Lord. So they would basically walk up to each other and go, come Lord Jesus. But you know, if I ever see somebody walk up to me and go, man, come Lord Jesus, it's like, what's wrong with me? What? I'm, hello? <laughs> I'm not that bad, you know? But that's what they would do. They would say, come, Lord. Come, Lord. They would just live with this expectancy, this desire 
to have Christ return. And, and you know, listen, I'll, I'll just confess, I don't, I don't often live with an expectancy or a desire or a longing for Christ's return, right? I mean, yeah, if you turn on the news and you, you just see some of the atrocities happening in the world, yeah, I mean, there are days where my heart just cries, Maranatha, God, come and end this madness. End it. Just please, Lord. I mean, that's selfishly, but I'm done here. Let's go home. Right? But, but most of the time, I'm more concerned about creating my own joy. I don't, I don't think about this. Right? But what, what if? Just what if? You know, if we only knew the joy that we would feel on that day, we would long for this expectancy. When I was a kid, and I loved me some Santa Claus, right? We would go to church, we'd go to grandma's house, and you better believe I had a window seat. I was plastered against the window, looking up, just, you know, shooting stars. Santa, Santa? And I didn't honestly care that much about Santa, but I knew Christmas Day, joy, right? Joy awaited me. And, you know, you start waking up at 3.30 in the morning, your mom's like, go back to bed. Trust me, Santa ain't come yet, right? Three, you know, but guys, think about that. What will it be like when he returns? And so as we close, we're, we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to sing joy to the world. And, and it's not big-time application sermon. It's, you know, maybe just close your eyes and think about it. Close your eyes and worship like it might be soon. Think about what it'll be like when creation, the heavens and the earth and nature burst forth into worship and invites us to join the chorus to worship King Jesus. And think about what it's going to be like, the joy that we'll feel when, when the curse of death is far, so far away that it can never be found again, that it's just vanquished forever. And, and think about what it will be like when the judge comes to you and says, not you, I bought you with a price, you're mine. Think of that. Wow. Maranatha, Lord. Lord, Maranatha. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we do not desire your return like we should. We confess that it is not our driving motivation, that we, that we are often preoccupied with ourselves and creating our own joy. But Lord, this morning I pray for your grace to remind us how much you love us, how much you long to be with us for eternity, and how you desire for others to do the same. And so, Lord, I pray that your return, much like Christ and, and the joy that was set before him was able to endure the cross, Lord, that the joy that is set before us enables us, motivates us, drives us to engage in this mission, to see lost people saved, and that you would 
create in us a longing for Jesus and to see him returning. Lord, Maranatha, we pray in Christ's name, amen.